I'm Robert England, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger, and you're listening to the sirens of Scream. So give these mermaids a chance, or I will. <laughs> everyone and welcome to the 72nd episode of the sirens of scream the geek podcast that proves sometimes dead is better uh i'm sierra and i'm here with jackie and melissa as per usual hello 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 uh we this will be our final little shorty episode for october this will be uh yeah the last one that people hear before halloween and keeping in that theme we're going to be talking about some halloween traditions and where they came from how they've changed over time. But first, we have some recommendations. Uh, Jackie, what have you been watching? Um, okay, so I have two Netflix things here. Um, one of them is Requiem, which is a uh, a miniseries, uh, a TV mini miniseries. Um, I don't think it was a Netflix original, but it is on Netflix right now. So that's... I uh, just happened to kind of stumble on this. The premise is when her mother commits suicide, a cellist's life is turned upside down by mysterious questions raised about her past. Now, let me just throw this out here. Uh, the mother, like, straight up slits her throat in front of this young woman. And it's, Ugh, it is like. That's not at all traumatizing. Like, it's like, it like hits hard, like right from the start of this entire series. Like the mother starts hearing weird voices coming out of a, a radio and like, it's, it's bizarre. And what I really liked about this show is that there was a lot of, uh, atmosphere to it. Um, it really played on, uh, this like dreary town in Wales, giving that like, bizarre something's creeping behind the corner of you know centuries old shit kind of feel you know and it mm-hmm. also had a lot of misleads in terms of what supernatural thing was coming at you so Ooh. yeah like I, I i don't want to give too much away because it's like you don't know where this mystery is going at any particular point and i love that because you know after you watch so many horror things you feel like you you know everything <laughs> when you start to get into something you're like oh god i see where this is going so i, I really like it when you when you f- see something that's like oh i didn't see that coming so it was fun this is a good one and i think that it would be supernatural so that's exciting uh the other one i want to talk about is something that i've seen so many mixed reviews about so that's kind of why why i want to talk about it and I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. It's In the Tall Grass, which is a uh, Stephen King and Joe Hill thing that's on Netflix right now. Have you guys seen it yet? I've seen it, yep. No, but I think I that was the one that I sent you guys the trailer for a few weeks ago, right? Yeah, this like just came out um, a couple weeks ago. Okay, so this is... Um, the premise is after hearing a young boy's cry for help, a sister and brother venture into a vast field of tall grass in Kansas, but soon discover there may be no way out and that something evil lurks within. Um, Sarah, what were your thoughts on this? Well, just like you were saying before, it's nice to find something that you 
don't really see where it's going. This is one where I did kind of see where it was going the whole time. Um, like the way that it ramped up wasn't very surprising. It was pretty like, I don't know, it's predictable, but I liked the first half of it more than I liked the second half. Right. And it just it was very Stephen Kingy and very Joe Hill. But uh, Patrick Wilson is the guy's name, right? From The Conjuring. He did a really great job. He was like the reason to watch it. Yeah, I thoroughly agree with everything there. Like, it was very predictable in a very Stephen King kind of way. Mm-hmm. I've been hearing a lot of people on uh, horror forums lately talk about how shitty this entire movie was. And I don't feel like it was that bad. Like, I, I can definitely see uh, their point in it. It was pretty predictable in a lot of ways if you have been around the Stephen King block a while. But I kind of feel like this is one of those movies where if you if you don't have a good sound system, you're not going to have a good time. I, I know how specific that sounds, but it's one of those uh, it's one of those things where they put a lot of time and effort into the sound design and the uh, you know the experience of it. So you really kind of have to put yourself into that world. So if you don't like hear these voices behind you and, you know, really feel yourself in that tall grass with them, you're not, you're not really going to get into that at all. I feel like. So. That totally makes sense. And like, I think that I like the first half of it because like just the very simplicity of not knowing why this is going on and something that's so simple just becomes impossible and it becomes so maddening for the characters. I think that's a lot more interesting than when it gets to be like, this is based off of like an old ancient ritual or like wherever Stephen King is going to take it. Right. Um, It's just the very like mundane kind of thing with like the hint of any kind of super like spooky thing going on um, where that mystery is probably way scarier than what it actually is going to end up being. Yeah, I did feel like the last third of it was kind of like, okay, I guess we got to find an ending here. <laughs> but yeah. Patrick Wilson fucking killed it. Like, I I feel like it was worth watching just for Patrick Wilson's performance in it. It does such a good job being a character who you feel like you should trust and, like, has that charisma of, like, this is going to be a good, helpful character. And then, like, does that evil turn. Yeah where it's even more horrible because he was supposed to be the one that would like protect us or I don't know or help in some way. Personally, I didn't trust him right off the bat just because of that mustache, but I <laughs> maybe that's a personal choice. <laughs> I've been doing a pretty terrible job of watching scary stuff this October. We're quite disappointed in the lack of scary stuff in my house right now. Um well, not my front yard. That's really scary. But, um we haven't had a lot of adult time at home to watch stuff. So I've been trying to watch spooky things with Max whenever I can. Um, and I just feel like it's worth mentioning we're in the middle of doing our Adventure Time complete rewatch that Max and I have been working on for like a couple months now. Dad isn't as crazy about Adventure Time as we are. So sometimes when he's here, we don't watch it, which is why it's taking so long. But tonight we just happen. I know. Tonight we just happen to watch. We're on season four now. We just happen to watch... Um, Return to the Nightosphere and Daddy's Little Monster. Two yes. great episodes about Marceline and her really messed up relationship with her dad. <laughs> and it's super cute. And, you know, it's uh, it's got the little political rap song that Finn sings to get a bunch of 
apathetic demons <laughs> um, moving <laughs> into anarchy so he can create um, a distraction. But it's really cute. And one of my favorite lines uh, when is when Finn is standing in a huge line that never ends to try to get <laughs> to see Marceline's dad. Um, and he finally, like, he just lays on his face on the f- ground and just starts, like, uh, and just moaning. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> and Jake is like, come on, you can do it, man. Stand up. And he says, I don't think my little boy heart can take it anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> So adorable. I picture Max starting to say he, that. Well, he actually repeated it right after he does that a lot. When he thinks oh. they say cute things, he repeats it right after them. I love it. <laughs> Um, but we did watch a couple nights ago. I watched with Max uh, Monster House. It's an old animated film from 2006 um, that I tried to watch with him when he was younger, and we didn't make it more than like a couple minutes in the movie. And he was like, "It's too scary," and he wouldn't watch it. So, <laughs> so we tried it again, um, and he really liked it this time. And I don't know. I think this movie is really cool. The animation, you know, is a little bit dated now. You look at animation from 2006 and it's like, oh, man, we've come so far. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's a super fun story. Uh, And I think it's it is intense. It is quite intense. And I forgot how intense some of it was. And there is a crazy lineup of like super celebrities in this that I didn't even realize the first time I saw it. Like Steve Buscemi that plays the main there's a crazy old man i guess i should tell you what it's about it's about um a house a little a 13 year old boy and there's a house across the street from him and the house um there's an old man that lives in the house who has a reputation in the neighborhood for like scaring little kids really intensely and like stealing all of their stuff so if anything hits his lawn you don't get it back like it just he dis- he takes it and then he scares the crap out of you and you don't go near his house um and what the little boy DJ discovers with his friend uh, Chowder, is his best friend's name. Um, they discover that the house is actually a monster, and they try to like go in and figure out what's happening and like get the house to stop ter- terrorizing little kids. Uh, so Steve Buscemi is voices the the old man whose name is Nebercracker. <laughs> oh, that's a good yeah. one. <laughs> and like Catherine O'Hara's in this, um, Fred Willard, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Jason Lee, Kevin James, Nick Cannon. There's so many people. Kathleen Turner. I had no idea there were so many people in this wow. movie. John Heater. I think that um, uh, Dan Harmon wrote it too. Who wrote it? Dan Harmon, who wrote uh, Community. Yes, you're right. Looking at it now, Dan Dan Harmon and Rob Schrabe are both credited with screenplays on this. Um, but it's really fun. It's a super fun movie if you want a fun uh, film to watch with uh, the kids to get ready for Halloween. And it's it was spooky enough that like I found myself feeling a little tense a few times. <laughs> yeah, I think we actually had that on um, one of our really, really early uh, 31 Days of Horror recommendations. Did we? Yeah, oh. it's an excellent movie. That's, I haven't watched that one in a few few years or so. It's but. always worth revisiting. I feel like that and Paranorman are always fun to go back and watch. For sure. I haven't been watching any new, newer horror things, but I uh, rewatched all of The Haunting of Hill House to get into that spooky season mood. And nice. We watched all of the, uh, or we had our big Treehouse of Horror Day on Saturday, which was very fun. How did that go? It was, it was great. Uh, made lots of snacks and got donuts in the morning. Um, and I, we have like 
probably a dozen of them purchased on Amazon. So I just we just streamed those uh, in no particular order. But uh, this one's not totally um, horror horror. It's a little bit more sci-fi. But we watched the new Netflix show, Living With Yourself. Oh, oh I just finished that uh, which last has night. Paul Rudd in it. Don't spoil yes, it. Don't spoil I, it. We're it, looking forward to seeing it. It's a lot of fun. It's so good. It's really fun. We watched it all in one night. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of like a dark comedy, sci-fi horror-y. Yeah, I think they actually uh, classified it as a horror comedy. Always good. I love my my horror comms. Yeah, and it was it's funny to see um, Paul Rudd, of all people, in that kind of genre. Oh, yeah, and Paul Rudd playing both, like, the good version of him and then, like, any kind of schlubby Paul Rudd is always fun, too. Yeah, like, he actually looks a couple years older than... Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> There's never too much Paul Rudd. <laughs> Paul Rudd doesn't age. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> oh, he's aging backwards. That's what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, Sierra, um, watching Haunting of Hill House the second time around, like, were there things that you didn't notice the first time that being aware of, like how it ends that you noticed this time? I was keeping my eyes peeled for ghosts in the background. And then I kept getting distracted by what was actually happening in the scene. And then I was like, oh, no, wait, I was supposed to be looking for ghosts. <laughs> um, so I think I missed a bunch uh, the second time, too. But it was really cool to watch it after the first time I had seen it. I hadn't heard the like fan theory. Or I don't know if it's a fan theory or like an actual thing. But I guess every all of the kids are stages of grief. Um, and so it goes through their stories, like each kid has their own episode and then it goes from like huh. denial, which is the oldest brother to anger is the oldest sister. Um, bargaining is the, um, Theo, the girl who, who wears gloves all the time and like has the, the sensitive touch. Um, uh, depression is the, the junkie brother and then acceptance is the youngest sister. And so it was cool to see, to watch it with that lens. Did not put that together before. No, I That's never thought of that either. Super interesting. Read it on Twitter or something, but huh. I feel like it it checks out. Yeah, it's a good spooky one. And I'm excited for the new Turning of the Screw. Yeah, when does that come out? I don't know off the top of my head. I feel like it's soon, though. I know that I think Turning of the Screw, the, the book, the short story it's based on, is actually a Christmas story. Or it's based around Christmas, so it might be... Might be coming kind of up. Like the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly if it's going to, how it's really going to relate to Hill House or why it's really being tied to that. Yeah. That'll be interesting how they pull that together. Mm-hmm. But if it's all the same creators, it, it should be a good story at the very least, you know? For sure. It's almost Halloween. The veil is thinning. And we wanted to talk a little bit about what where this day came from and why it's why it's so fun and spooky. Um, so I did a little bit of reading about Samhain uh, to share with you guys. And Samhain is the uh, Gaelic, Celtic, pagan um, holiday that Halloween is usually tied to or said to like have roots in. Um, and that celebration was the marking of the end of the harvest season and the beginning of winter. 
It's halfway between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. Am I doing that right? With the timing? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because then on the other half of the year is, um, is Beltane, which is between spring equinox and summer solstice. And they balance each other out. So Samhain is like the beginning of the darkness. And then Beltane is bringing back the light and the um, opening up to the to the hot and the warm part of the year. I was just about to ask you how you were pronouncing that. I've never heard it pronounced that way before. Really? Yeah. How do you hear it pronounced? I always thought it was just Samhain. I had to, I saw some Instagram posts about it. So that's how I'm, how I'm in the know. Yeah. <laughs> now I know. No, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, there are a few different uh, pronunciations of it. And uh, from what I understand, it actually varies by uh, region, by uh, location. There are a lot of, I actually read this recently and I wish I had saved the article so that I could have put it in here so I could really sound like I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but there are a lot of uh, traditions throughout uh, Eastern Europe, apparently, that divide up how that particular word is pronounced. I'll look for the actual information while we're talking here and see if I Makes can... Makes <laughs> sense, yeah, because it, it seems like it's pretty well concentrated to that, like, Ireland-England section of the world, mm-hmm. but there's definitely, like, over time... And across regions, different variations of it. And then also different, like, levels of mixing with Christianity. Right. Um, so so it, I, I, I think that there's maybe some, con- some conflict around the actual roots and historical tracking of, of the etymology of Halloween. But that it, that Samhain was kind of like the base, the acorn of it. And then Christianity took it, um, took traditions from Samhain. Messed it all up. Yeah, and like they um, have All Saints Day, which is also called All Hallows Day, which is also called All Hallows Eve, which gets us to Halloween. So it's like a weird game of telephone that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense through time. But there's also uh, All Souls Day, which I guess comes after all Saints Day, so like you, you pay homage to the saints who have died, and then you give to the people in your life who have died for All Souls Day. Um, and then there's like within that traditions of dressing up and going door to door and getting soul bread, um, which is like been blessed by a priest, um, which uh, is very similar, obviously, to uh, trick or treating. Tell me more about this soul bread. Soul cakes. I guess they're cakes, not bread. They're, yeah, traditionally uh, from All Souls Day, All Hallows Eve, All Saints Day. Uh, So, yeah, so these cakes were made and then they were handed out to solars um, who would go door to door. And these were usually kids or or poor people going around. um, And they would, like say a prayer or say a chant or something and then they would get the bread sounds very trick-or-treaty yeah um but then also within Samhain there's traditions of dressing up like spirits of people who have died or or bad spirits either to um welcome in 
the good ones that you want to commune with and then scaring away the evil ones um, by dressing up as also scary, which is a pretty good uh, tactic there to be scarier than the scary thing. For sure. And you'd think that like an actual evil spirit would know the difference, but I guess they're easy to fool. Um, They can even be fooled with jack-o'-lanterns, which was originally... Uh, folks would hollow out turnips and put little candles in it. Which are way and then creepier. I guess they realized. Way creepier than pumpkins. But I bet they're so much harder to to put together. Yeah. Also around Samhain, um, it's believed that this is like the the thinning of the veil. This is the time of the year when the um uh, the connection between our world and the other world is is the thinnest and it's easy to pass through. Um so this is a good time to talk to spirits of the dead or uh, do some divination rituals to try to foresee the future of what's to come in the next year. Um, And there's a lot of traditions around that, um, including bobbing for apples, which I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole um, trying to figure out what this was coming from um, because I read some different kind of differing things from different sources. Um, But I read that it was originally a game um who like that young adults would play and like each person would have an apple and you'd put it in a big bin with water um and then you try to grab the the apple of the person you have a crush on that you want to get with and then whoever's apple you grabbed was like supposed to be the one that you would marry and that this was something that like the ancient greeks would do uh and then it became less popular over time but then in the 1800s um Folks were like looking back at their uh, their family roots and like getting really interested in their heritage and traditions and things. And so it came back um, as a Halloween game. That's honestly kind of a really cute hookup game, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's also and then I went down this rabbit hole of like, OK, well, how are apples like related to, to this at all? Because there's kind of a disconnect between like this romantic game to then just being a spooky day game right? for kids. Yeah. Um, so I guess that apples are fairly significant. Uh, within Celtic beliefs, there's stories of w- a woman from the other world uh, inviting you into the other world by offering you an apple or a silver apple branch. Um, and then there's also games and uh, rituals for divination with apples. So if you peel the skin off of an apple in a single piece and then throw it over your shoulder, then it'll land in the shape of the letter of whoever you're going to marry of the first letter of their name, which we played that in, in school, we would do that with orange peels, try to peel like an orange in one piece and then like drop it. And it was like, Ooh, you're going to date that person, which I had no idea that that had connections to anything. Did ever like work? Like, I, I feel like it would just curl right back up. Like, did it actually form a letter? I don't think it did. If it did, maybe they, like, kind of molded it a little bit to try to, like, get the letter they wanted. They see what they want to see. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I saw also that the apples are connected um, by part of, because of a, an old Roman festival honoring uh, Pomona, the goddess of agriculture and abundance. And apparently this festival happened um, at the same time as Samhain. Did I say that right? Okay, mm, yeah. I can't remember the way I said it. <laughs> um, so that that was another, and 
it says the same thing, but the gist is that young men and women would be able to foretell their future relationships based on bobbing for apples. So apparently it's got Roman connections as well. Cool. Then there was another thing that I read that if you put an apple under your pillow, then you'll have dreams about whoever your future husband or wife is. Okay, but how uncomfortable would it be to sleep on an apple? (laughs) No, or if it gets squished in your bed. Yuck. That would get stinky. Terrible idea. Hmm. Um, there is also another uh, form of divination that I haven't heard of before that I was interested to see in the Wikipedia article about Halloween. Um, it's called, uh, it's hard to pronounce too, um, Molly, Molly Bud- Dominancy. Molly, there's a weird B in the middle of this word. <laughs> M-O-L-Y-B-D-O-M-A-N-C-Y. I would just ignore the B. <laughs> It doesn't belong there. Right? Molly Dominancy? Molly Molly Dominancy? (laughs) It's so... See, this is why you haven't heard of it. It's because it's like impossible to say the word. It's really the Dominancy that's throwing me off there. (laughs) Those words, there's like certain letters that just the combination, they should never be next to each other. The Molibdo sounds okay, but the rest of it doesn't. Um, but this is a uh, a method of fortune telling where you take either molten lead or tin, or I saw that you could do it with egg whites too, and you drop it into water. And so with the metals, it'll um, harden and be a weird shape. Um, or if it's the egg whites, it's, it just forms a shape in the water that you um, judge and so with when you have your your hunk of of molten lead or something that you've dropped in the water um you pull it out and you can either use just the shape of the form that it ends up in to infer symbols and any kind of fortune telling from that or i thought it was cool that if you take the piece and then move it kind of around a candlelight and rotate it it makes shadows and then those shapes cool. are the things that you that you interpret so that's like very similar to like reading tea leaves or um you can do it with like the sediment in wine or in coffee or something but it's it's this whole tradition that uh people in turkey and germany and switzerland finland it's all over the place the the shadow thing sounds really cool but now let's go back to the egg part because like you can be like all right now let's poach an egg and tell some stories tell some fortunes and then here have breakfast. yeah then you have a snack afterwards <laughs> like <laughs> i was thinking ahead right waste there. not want one yeah <laughs> i can tell you're going to be hungry in about 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> so melissa you i know that you found a couple of other things i did and i was trying to keep track of like the things that you were touching on because you went over several things that um, were kind of crossed over with what I had here. So I'm trying to not repeat anything, but... Malibdomancy. Yeah, stop me if I do. Malibdomancy? Malibdomancy. Yes. Malibdomancy? Yeah, because it's Malibdos and Mancy. Sounds like it sounds almost like somebody starting to say my name, but with like something in their like mouth, n- <laughs> like, <laughs> like necromancy, yeah. but malibdos. Mm-hmm. So you t- you touched on carving jack o' lanterns and how it used, they used to use uh, turnips in Ireland, right? But I don't think you went into the story that's attached to that. Oh, no, please do. According to this article that I found, um, it says that. Uh, 
supposedly based on a legend about a man named Stingy Jack, who repeatedly trapped the devil and only let him go on the condition that Jack would never go to hell. When he died, Jack learned that heaven didn't really want his soul either, so he was condemned to wander the earth as a ghost forever. Damn. The, the devil gave Jack a lump of burning coal and a carved-out turnip to light his way. And eventually locals began carving frightening faces into their gourds to scare off evil spirits. Why does that give me heavy over-the-garden-wall vibes? <laughs> I mean, maybe because Jack sounds like <laughs> an odd, creepy little child wandering around in the woods with a lantern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that could be it. <laughs> Trick or treating. What I found I found interesting in this is um, there's actually three different. There's the pagan way of trick or treating, which you talked about, which was um, people dressing up and then knocking on the door to kind of get like bread and food, right? Then there's trick or treating the Scottish way, uh, which is the Scottish practice of guising, which is like a secular version of souling. Uh, in the Middle Ages, solars, usually children and poor adults, like you said, would go to local homes and say prayers to get that. Uh, geysers ditched the prayers in favor of non-religious performances like jokes, songs, and tricks to get their food. Um, so that's what the Scottish did on their turn of it. And then the American form of trick-or-treating apparently stems from something called bell snickling. Which is a tradition. <laughs> it's a tradition in German communities where children dress in costumes and call their neighbors to see if the adults could guess the identities of the disguised kids. That's fun. So they like run around and trick their neighbors and they have to try to. So here's one you guys will appreciate that I don't think we touched on yet is getting spooked by black cats. Oh, yeah. Uh, the association of black cats and spookiness dates all the way back to the Middle Ages when dark kitties were considered a symbol of the devil. It didn't help the feline's reputation when centuries later accused witches were found to have cats, especially black ones, as companions. People started believing the cats were a witch's familiar, animals that gave them assistance with their dark magic, and the two have been linked ever since. Which they're not, by the way, guys, so stop being mean to black cats. <laughs> I've heard a, uh, I don't know if this is like a fact fact or just one of those facts that gets spread around that isn't really true, but um, I've heard that the bubonic plague was so bad because people were killing cat, black cats specifically, and just cats in general. And so they weren't keeping down the rat population. Mm. So there were a lot more rats, which spread the disease and killed all the people who were killing cats when they got their comeuppance. That makes sense. So, and yeah, black cats are still uh, one of the lowest adopted cats. Mm. And that, that actually goes with bunnies, too. Black bunnies are often ignored. I think it's the same way with black dogs. I have a friend who just got her second black dog, and she said that they got another black dog basically because shelters are full of black dogs. That's so weird. I didn't associate it with any other animals besides cats. That's weird that people would have that, like, aversion, right? Back to the Celtic festival again, um, Samhain. Black represented the death of summer, while orange is emblematic of the autumn harvest season. Very cool. Um, did we talk about Devil's Night yet? The pranks. <gasps> Devil's night. <laughs> the devil. Uh, so it's a phenomenon that varies by region, but it's a pre-Halloween tradition called Devil's Night. Uh, and apparently it's credited with different origins, depending on who you ask, like many of these things that we talked about. Um, some sources say that pranks were originally part of May Day celebrations. 
Um, Samhain and eventually All Souls Day seem to have included good-natured mischief. And when Scottish and Irish immigrants came to America, they brought the tradition of celebrating Mischief Night as part of Halloween, which then became a part of our traditions here. Um, We talked about apples quite a bit already. Um, What about spotting bats? No, but bats are Mm. wonderful. I know. I love bats. It's likely that bats were present at earliest celebrations of proto-Halloween, not just symbolically, but literally. As part of Samhain, the the Celts lit large bonfires, which attracted insects. The insects, in turn, attracted bats, who ate the insects. (laughs) And they soon became associated with the festival. Medieval folklore expanded upon the spooky connotation of bats with a number of superstitions built around the idea that bats were the harbingers of death. And vampires, obviously. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, obviously vampires. (laughs) So, and then there's some, like, more recent ones that I find interesting, which is the... The long-loved tradition of gorging on candy on Halloween. Let's see... Until the middle of the 20th century, the treats kids received were mostly toys, coins, fruit, and nuts. The rise in popularity of trick-or-treating in the 1950s inspired candy companies to make a marketing push with small, individually wrapped candy pieces. It always starts with marketing, doesn't it? It's very smart. Fucking capitalism. People obliged out of convenience, but candy didn't dominate at the exclusion of all other treats, until parents started fearing anything unwrapped in the 1970s. And let's be clear, mm-hmm. nobody is giving your kids their edibles this <laughs> Halloween. Those, that's just, it's, it's expensive. Why would you just hand those yeah, out? Yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> edibles are expensive. No one's giving them up to your kids. I wonder if people are just saying that because kids are finally not, like, they're not telling their parents that they believe the old razor blade in your candy shirt anymore. <laughs> so, and how about some background on candy corn? Let's hear it. I love candy corn. I just saw an article a couple of days ago saying that candy corn is officially the least popular Halloween food. I love That's candy bullshit. corn. bullshit. Black licorice is the worst, okay? Oh, licorice is nasty. Oh, that's pretty <laughs> disgusting. I don't know. I love candy corn. I went to a kid's birthday party yesterday and officially ate like five handfuls of candy corn. <laughs> 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 I had to fight some toddlers for it too, damn it. <laughs> um, let's see. Assorting, according to some stories, a candy maker at the Wonderly Candy Company in Philadelphia invented the revolutionary tricolor candy in the 1880s. The treat didn't become widespread phenomenon until another company brought the candy to the masses in 1898. At that time, candy corn was called chicken feed and sold in boxes with the slogan, something worth crowing for. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Originally, it was just autumnal candy because of corn's association with harvest time. Candy corn became Halloween-specific when trick-or-treating rose to prominence in the 1950s. I love it. <laughs> and that's what I have for you, but I think that's a cute accompaniment to Sierra's very serious and dark and spooky historical or historically accurate information (laughs) very much so and while i have nothing to contribute i am thoroughly entertained over here (laughs) just um trying to frantically google really fast because i think i might be wrong but i think in the movie killer legends i want to say that that has the actual story of the poison candy myth quote unquote well it was it was true but it wasn't um, 
a stranger poisoning kids. It was a father poisoning his sons to try to get an insurance payout. Right. Okay. I got I got it pulled up. Yeah, that's exactly. I was trying to remember it, but I didn't want to say it in case I, I had gotten something mixed up. But it happened in Houston, Texas, was the urban legend of poison candy. And they you the yeah, like you said, the the big panic of that this was like a widespread thing wasn't true. Um, strangers weren't handing out poison candy, but that um, this guy, Ronald Clark O'Brien, poisoned his own son for insurance money and then used that urban legend that was already going around to like deflect it from him. So it wasn't that he caused it. Yeah, it was that he then was like, oh, no, the thing everybody's scared of has happened. And uh, from what I remember, he also uh, poisoned his son's friend get insurance or anything, but basically to make it look like a random poisoning. To give validity to his... What a piece yeah, of shit. Story. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? And Seriously. parents ever since have been using that story to uh, steal their kids' Halloween candy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You gotta inspect That's it. That's how it works. Yep. Don't eat it until mom and dad inspect it. I'll give it back to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Minus a few extra Kit Kats. <laughs> Funny. Well, not, not the happiest story to end on well i can give you a a happy little trick-or-treating story to end on well it's just a little short one so i you know i'm going out of town for halloween this year and i was a little upset about it because we get how we get trick-or-treaters here i found a friend that was so excited to come and stay with our bunnies for while we're out of town that she like immediately that day started texting me like do you need me to go get halloween candy i'm so excited i got masks to wear for the trick-or-treaters like she's She's so pumped, and so Aww. my trick or treaters will have a porch light. Will be it on. It will be on. They will get their candy. <laughs> Everything at Castle Devorkula will be awesome. <laughs> maybe I'll I'll have to maybe I'll t- try to um, do a live video or something at the town parade this year, so you guys can see yes. how my town does Halloween. Oh my god, yes, please. It's pretty wild. <laughs> it's fun. The entire town just ends up like in a giant Halloween parade down the middle of the street. Yes. I'll do that. I'll try to remember that. I would give a limb for a fucking Halloween parade. Halloween parade. <laughs> I love it. They do it in Ashland, too, if you ever end up on in Oregon. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, it's it's very silly and goofy, but it's, you know, it's like the same kind of like local... I don't know. I live in a very crunchy mountain town. It's a little college town. And mm-hmm. so, like, you know, there's, like, the local, like, drum circle people. And then there's, yeah. like, the fire trucks and the police people. It's kind of those kind of things, you know. But everybody's in costume. And there are some people that go all out with big costumes. And it's fun because you get to watch the parade go by. And then as the parade makes its way down Main Street, everybody watching sort of joins in at the end of the parade. So you kind of get to see, like, what everybody in town is wearing, too. And we watch it like down at the bottom of the parade. So we get to see like everybody coming by. Very cool. Yeah. And I'll do, uh, maybe I'll do a little video at the pumpkin carving contest too. So you can see some of the pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Yes. See those award winners? Yeah. Yes. You know, I skipped it like for several years because the bakery is really small and I thought they can't be that cool. And then I finally went one year. I was like, what? <laughs> Is really impressive pumpkin carving going on here. Do live videos and post it on our uh, on our Facebook. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good segue. Y'all can follow us on Facebook. 
uh, we're Sirens of Scream. And then on Twitter, we're at Sirens Podcast. Uh, if you want to see all those videos and cool things. I'm going to do some live videos. That sounds really awesome. I can't wait. I've also, that reminded me, the pumpkin carving reminds me that I've been watching Halloween Wars on Hulu. So that is a, a wreck that I should have brought up earlier. But What is it? It's a really good background show. Um, it's a competition-y show. Um, and it's half pumpkin carving and half baking and candy making. So they're three-person teams and they are given a a topic or some, you know, something of inspiration. And then they have to create these big like structured diorama sculptures um, out of pumpkins and cakes and things of of like zombies and werewolves and what why didn't I know about this sooner? Oh, it's so good. There's like six seasons or something. What? It's really what? fun. Yeah, seriously, it's, and it's super good to just have on in the background. Oh my god! I, How did I, not know, I about know, this? right? <laughs> so much fun. So, what is that called again, Sears? Uh, Halloween what? Halloween Wars. Halloween Wars. All right. Yeah. And the host is Justin Williams, who's the um, he's a magician, and he was he did a lot of stuff with like the Nerdist and. I'm going to have to um, look that up. He's a, he's a fun yeah, guy. I'm getting on this like pretty oh, yeah, much as soon good. as we're done recording. And they have celebrity guests, judge, judges, and it's usually somebody like from a horror movie. Oh, it was a Food Network show. Yeah, this is like the best news I've heard in a while. But you watch it on Hulu? Yeah, it's on Hulu. Okay. I'm going to look it up. This is something we would totally enjoy watching together. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Oh, well, I'm glad I remembered it. <laughs> Yay! Hey, something to watch until Halloween comes. Sierra slides in in the last couple minutes of the awesome wreck. <laughs> uh, you can find all of our past episodes and show notes, which is important for all of our wrecks and everything that we talk about. Um, that all ends up on sirensofscreen.com. And you can follow me at Sierra Hauk. And Jackie, where can people follow you? I'm Jackie the Robot on Twitter and Instagram. And Melissa? I'm Lissa Punch on Twitter and Instagram. And everybody have a good and fun and safe Halloween. Yay! Spooky Halloween! Halloween!